Welcome to the Supergivers Podcast. I'm Jesse Johnson with today's episode 12 guest, Dr. Ellis Jones, professor of sociology and creator of the Better World Shopper, an evidence-based guide to ethical consumerism. Listen in as Dr. Jones shares amazing evidence and insight about your power to change the world through simple shopping choices. Okay, Dr. Ellis Jones, creator of Better World Shopper uh, and multiple offshoots of that, uh, professor of sociology at the College of the Holy Cross. Welcome and thanks for being here. Thanks for having me, Jesse. It's a pleasure. Right on. Well, as I've told you now multiple times in our in our short conversations, um, I'm really excited about the work you have done and are doing. And if you could just start by maybe giving us a a bullet point of kind of the mission that you're on in, in terms of conscious consumerism and what that has entailed so far. So um, I started this work, I think... Um, maybe just over 17 years ago, I'm, I'm really interested in this idea of bringing democracy to the economic realm. And my sense of that is that consumers need to understand that their dollars are votes and to utilize them effectively, they need some reasonable fact-based information upon which to cast those votes. So my Better World Shopper project is an attempt to try to bring the best data we have publicly available to consumers so they may go into the marketplace and vote uh, on those issues that are important to them in a way that companies can hear those messages being sent and thus change their behavior and by way of that change some of the most powerful institutions shaping the world as we know it. And before we move away from it, because I think this is a really key point in the beginning here, can you say a little bit more about how the how how consumerism is connected with policy and politics? Sure. So, um, you know, from my perspective as an academic, I I was early on. I was trained as essentially. A political scientist um, specializing in international relations. So introduced to democracy very early on as a system that keeps power accountable, uh, the power of the nation state accountable by giving voice to the people. Um, however, we don't have uh, a, a corollary to this within the economic realm. We have these incredible, powerfully um, situated institutions, uh, multinational corporations, and in many cases more powerful than they've ever been in history. And yet we don't have the same checks and balances. We don't have the same voice. Having said that, um, these institutions, the vast majority of them, are, are reliant on consumer dollars in almost the same way that uh, in a democracy, politicians are reliant on voters votes and so without those dollars without those votes uh the politicians cannot be reelected and and maintain power and without the dollars for these companies they cannot uh, grow and thrive and so the idea is that um as we as consumers understand that we have a voice and actually have incredible leverage an incredible uh, ability to communicate our wishes to these institutions, that those institutions, by definition, will change uh, depending on 
uh, whether or not they see their dollars at stake. Um, this is essentially like the most important thing to them. And it's something that the, the latest estimates are something like t- roughly 60 to 70% of the U.S. economy is run exclusively on consumer dollars. Mm. So the most powerful economy in the world is run mostly by consumers, although we don't feel that way. Uh, our dollars are shaping uh, the global economy in a powerful way. Wow. So before we get into that, why is it that if that is in fact the case, that 60 to 70% of our massive juggernaut of an economy is shaped by the everyday consumer, how is it that people feel so powerless in this place? Well, you know... (laughs) Every time I have questions that that you know that I can't answer, I always hearken back to my original training as a as a political scientist, essentially. Even though now I'm a sociologist, uh, and that is how is it that we feel in this democracy mostly powerless when it comes time to elections? Uh, you know, we have Republicans, we have Democrats, we have third parties. You know, why is it that people seem to be more and more disgruntled, and uh, they vote at kind of lower, consistently lower rates, and they feel less satisfied with the outcomes of elections. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the same process, or maybe even more so, is taking place in the economic realm. I don't think people feel like they have power, uh, in part because they, they don't have good information to rely upon. You know, uh, essentially most of the economic realm uh, generates, you know, in today's parlance, fake news, right? It generates uh, uh, advertising material. Uh, um, it generates stories that are kind of press releases, and it uh, it does not give people the data that they would need to make uh, real decisions about uh, what they want. On top of this, of course, there is another layer, and that is most of us are very new to the idea of using dollars as votes to represent values, whereas democracy essentially is in part based on that idea. Uh, in the political sphere, in the economic sphere, we're we're essentially trying to meet our needs. We want to buy things that uh, are useful to us, that taste good, that look good, that last a long time. You know, these are kind of the forefront of our uh, shopping experience or our experience as consumers. And so this other layer of, hey, wait a second, these products and services actually impact real human beings and real kind of ecological systems around the world. This is fairly new to us. And so when we go out into the marketplace, when we discover this and we say, hey, maybe I can figure out how to make the world a little bit better through spending my dollars a little differently, we're suddenly hit with this wall of um, a lack of information, very much like most people feel when they go to vote and they feel like they're going to be finally a good citizen and do the right thing. Um, most of our voting behavior is based on very little information that we can really put our finger on. So would you be willing to say a little bit about how uh, the Better World Shopping Guide fills in this need for people as consumers? Yeah, so um, what I discovered early on in my research is that most of the information being generated is being generated by companies themselves. And these essentially are the least trustworthy of all the elements or data sources. It would be like trusting politicians to rate themselves and tell you honestly about exactly what they're doing. Of course, they have no vested interest in that. They're, they're going to tell you all of the wonderful things they're doing and essentially hide all the terrible things so that you'll vote for them. Um, and it, it, the same goes with companies. So most of the information that exists out in the world is generated by the companies themselves and can't be trusted. 
So where do we where do we turn? For the most can, part, can I the, can I pause you just just so people sure. understand? When you say most of the information, is that per, particularly in marketing, or are you extending that also to I'm the nutritional content, the ingredient lists, um, the you know performance aspects of whatever products they're buying? Like where does that line draw? Well, it's uh, it's an interesting question. Uh, the line is quite blurry. So to be honest, most of the information is, is the stuff we think about advertising, advertising campaigns, television commercials, Facebook ads, etc. Uh, then there's the product itself, which is an advertisement for itself, usually covered in particular information. Nutritional labels and ingredients lists have a certain amount of regulated honesty, um, uh, which is higher than an advertisement, has, has little to no regulated on, honesty. Um, and yet, you, uh, there are still ways to manipulate ingredients lists and nutritional information to make the product look quite a bit better than it is. So those are not either neutral arbiters um, that one can completely rely on either. The best sources of information that we have outside of the realm of control of those companies are essentially non nonprofits, third parties that are trying to independently track them along certain um, issue areas. So... Uh, in some cases, in most cases, these are, are you know, nonprofit organizations that you, you know, might just think of off the, the top of your head, like a Greenpeace or Center for Science and the Public Interest or, you know, some of these little organizations that ask for donations every now and then. Uh, in some cases, these are private nonprofits. And in, in other cases, these are government agencies that actually track things like the EPA tracking uh, toxic release inventories or... Or, or, or tracking uh, the use of renewable energy. So some some small part of the data comes from the government, a larger part from the general nonprofit community, and then uh, another small sliver from private independent interests that, that keep themselves outside of the realm of corporations to be a kind of watchdog entities. Yeah, and I know I, I steered you away, and I want to come back to well, where you're headed. But before we do that, be, because it may not be clear to some, especially in this age where basically there's chaos um, and confusion amidst trusting of credibility in, in news source, right? How and why should we trust the third party and, and what what have you learned about that as um, in terms of sourcing information? Well, that's a, yeah. Yes, that's another uh, very good question. So all third party sources are also in some ways... Um, Suspect. Mm -hmm. uh, one of the things that I do when I uh, choose the sources uh, to um, add into my own research project is that I vet each and every source for you know the reliability of their data, um, you know the reputation with other sources, um, how comprehensive they are, how deeply they dig, what their research process is, etc. Because in many cases, some of these third-party sources themselves um, may be unbeknownst to the consumer, also generated by companies or by third parties that are acting on companies' behalf. So, for example, you know, the most trusted sources for the average person who has no sense of, let's say, in the Better World Shopper as a project or, or similar projects to that would be you pick up a product and you look for things like um, USDA organic label or a fair trade label. These are third-party labels, essentially one run by the government, the other run by nonprofit agency. Uh, these are labels that are trying to certify some of the ingredients and some of the behaviors that the company is engaged in to let the consumer know, yes, they, they pass muster. Um, and even those, 
uh, are not 100% reliable. And, and consumers know this. You know, they, can, they know that when they see organic on some products, you know, they can kind of get a sense like, oh, yeah, this is legitimate. But on other products, they're a little suspicious. And I think legitimately so, because um, there's actually quite a bit of evidence out there. And nonprofits have tracked this, this issue in particular, like the Organic Consumer Association or Cornucopia Institute, to rate how organic is organic. And they look at all of these companies that use the organic label, and they will tell you that this company is essentially the company that passed the test with a D minus. And here is the company that essentially got out of that those those uh, that system of regulation with an A plus coming out the other end. They both get the organic label because they both pass technically, but one is very different than the other. And the same with fair trade. Um, there are uh, people who can tell you by tracking these products that certain people who achieved the fair trade certification have done so in a way that has kind of oodles of integrity and others who have just, you know, essentially, you know, um, made it so that they just barely passed the test enough to get all of their products certified. So what I'm understanding is you're in your best efforts, we're probably making a significant jump from simply relying on, um, product creators to deliver us the truth but we're still just kind of like making a a really good uh, leap of faith with with some of these sources exactly i mean these are all educated guesses and and these labels are fairly recent in the grand scheme of things um and uh they have come out to try to give uh, consumers some guidance in this this world and these efforts like the Better World Shopper and um, Ethical Consumer abroad in the UK and Shop Ethical in Australia, these efforts uh, around the world are uh, essentially trying to add uh, to that tool set for consumers to kind of bring in even more comprehensive information so that you don't have to rely on, well, this product is organic, but that same product is made by a different company that's not organic, but I but they seem to be smaller and independent, or or maybe a company I don't trust, which is big. Now they put out a fair trade product. What do I make of that? So we're trying to clear up this kind of like confusing area, and we're doing it in essentially a realm that is mostly unregulated, the realm of advertising. I think it was last year or the year before that uh, a court ruled, a state court ruled that for. Um, campaign ads for politicians that lying was not um, um, illegal, that you could actually lie in your campaign ads or on your television ads as you run for office and you couldn't be prosecuted for it. Um, and that's essentially similar to where we are in the realm of um, advertising uh, with companies and products and services. The fraud laws exist, but the, the, um, the violation must be quite egregious for it to kick in. Yeah. And so essentially most of what is said can really kind of push the realm of truth to its kind of thinnest uh, <laughs> uh, nature until until it breaks. Right, like the, the tag of all natural on, <laughs> on food sources and things like that. Yeah, biodegradable <laughs> yeah. or all natural. Yeah, exactly. Okay, so let's come back to the main theme here of democracy and economics. Uh, you started down that path and... Um, I appreciate you kind of taking that tangent. I think you filled in a little of of your process. Um, what else is important for people to understand about how you collect information and organize information and, um, yeah, and evaluate it? 
Well, essentially, you know, from the beginning, I've tried to put myself in the role of a consumer who, if he or she had all of the time and the money in the world, you know, where would they go? How would they think about these things? How would they organize it? How would they clarify it? Uh, and what I've tried to do is uh, pull together all of the publicly available data that that anyone has access to, um, vet it, uh, and synthesize it into uh, an enormous database, which has at the moment just over, I think, 2,200 companies in which I track over the past 25 or so years uh, how these corporations have been behaving uh, along environmental lines, along uh, um, animal protection issues, along environmental sustainability, human, human rights issues, and social justice, trying to, to create a comprehensive picture of what these companies are doing. And I take that information and uh, I create a weighting system to kind of calculate you know, how thorough the research is, um, how, how broad the scope of the issues are, um, how long the company has been doing the right or the wrong thing, how new the information is, uh, how trustworthy the source is, and all of that. And I, and I add all of the, the, crunch all the numbers up. And in the end, I end up this grading system from A to F, because this is something fairly intuitive to people. We've all gone up through a system of education that grades us from A to F, and we know the difference between an A and a C and an F. And so um, at the end of the day, uh, all of these companies come out with some kind of grade so that you can get a sense of the overall responsibility of the company you're supporting with your dollars. Not the product necessarily that you're buying, but the company itself that you are supporting in the grand scheme of things. And I think on the one hand, I would love to see a future in which you could get down to the very kind of nitty gritty of every single product uh, and finding out exactly what it does, you know, supply chain wise and human rights wise. But in these early stages of what I would call our, our kind of economic democracy experiment, um, these are the kind of earliest tools that we have that I think are important to be able to send collective messages to these companies um, to get uh, the signals that they need from uh, consumers to do the right thing. Okay. So let's have fun with a little um, example. This is something I will tell people. I've had the Better World Shopper app for several years, and I use it regularly because um, I believe wholeheartedly in the power of in the power I have as a consumer. So here's here's what it comes down to for people that that I speak with and I would love your insight on this. So I'm sitting I'm at the grocery store, right? And I've got a choice between 7th generation, which under your evaluation is one of the highest performing companies in the world, is it not? Yes. Okay. Yeah. I can get 7th generation laundry detergent. Let's say that's cost 6.99 and I can get Tide, which is an F in your rating system for four ninety nine. Let's just assume for the sake of argument that that's the same volume and all that same number of washes. What are those $2? What's the impact of those $2 if I support seventh generation over tide? Yeah. So, um, so it's, again, I think what we're talking about essentially is very much similar to, um, what does it matter if I vote or I don't vote in an election? And what does it matter if I vote for a particular excuse me, candidate or issue over another one. And it's important to understand that like those $2 will not make or break essentially the company that you do or don't give them to, or the, you know, the, the, um, $5 versus the $7, but it's the cumulative impact, right? It's not the single vote that throws an election. 
it's all of the votes that kind of added together begin to move the system in a different direction. So for seventh generation, I mean, this is a, a until just this last year has essentially been the system that has been rated according to all, all of the public data that we have, um, one of the highest performing companies in the world, right? Essentially setting the stage or cutting, uh, uh, opening up the new ground for how companies should behave if we want them to be kind of good, responsible citizens, including how they treat their workers, how they help the environment, which is kind of their flagship issue, um, how they encourage and educate consumers to uh, go above and beyond on their own, um, how they impact the other businesses that they themselves do business with. This is all pushing in one direction at a very cutting edge. Uh, Tide, which I believe is Procter & Gamble, is essentially uh, on the other end of things. This is a company that has been around for many decades and has become one of the largest, most powerful companies in the world, in part because it is willing to do things that its competitors are not willing to do. Uh, And so the profit margins uh, are increased uh, and the... uh, the, whether or not it has to be human rights or uh, animal rights or um, uh, the environment that has to be sacrificed along the way, these are all essentially costs that show up for companies. They have to pay for these value choices. And if they decide not to pay for those choices to give you know their own workers um, extra dollars in their paychecks or you know spend the extra money it would take to make sure that the water is clean as it leaves the factory, etc., then um, those costs, which are essentially sloughed off to the society to bear longer term, uh, add up to more profits and make the company much more successful. So what you do is you push a model in the opposite direction. You push industry that is saying, look, we'll, we'll do whatever it takes to make that, that bottom line work for us. And if you like that idea, give us more money and we'll do more of the same and create competitors that are even more uh, um, essentially created in the image of uh, our business models. Yeah, so essentially like large-scale behavioral reinforcement through money. Exactly. Yeah. And, I mean, I guess my my suspicion here, maybe you can elaborate or, or correct me here, my guess is that this sort of all boils down to can we acknowledge a world, a reality of interconnectedness Right, because somebody can always come back to like I don't experience the immediate impact of buying Tide. I don't see it in my world. Therefore, I can pretend it's not there, or I can actually believe it's not there. Yeah, it's very much like uh, our issue with uh, climate change. Right. Right. If you don't feel it, if you're not experiencing it personally, you know it doesn't seem real, and therefore, you know, you spending a bunch of time trying to bike to work or or get solar panels on your house or anything else seems distant, seems um, unreal to you. Uh, And that same problem exists within uh, the economic realm. When we're going out to buy products, it just looks like a more expensive product. Uh, It just looks like something that has maybe greener labels on it. You don't experience all of the, either the environmental degradation or, you know, the environmental renewal or, or the kind of human rights abuses or the kind of social justice efforts. You don't experience that personally. So it doesn't seem real. And uh, in a sense, this works in the, in favor of the cheapest product, the shiniest product, you know, um, uh, that, that exists on the shelf. And it's just now that consumers are beginning to develop that, that wider consciousness about these kind of longer term impacts. It's again, very similar to, um, 
going to the ballot box. Like you don't see immediate benefit uh, from your vote. And even if you vote and all your candidates get in, you may not see immediate benefit. Uh, you may not be able to put your finger on any particular benefit, but you do understand that elections matter and that they do have impacts. And you may see in the news that they are impacting people in various ways. So you have a sense for some of that, at least. And again, in these early stages, we don't have as good of a sense in the economic realm. But arguably, um, there's an even more direct correlation between the dollars right. and the impact. I was just going to say the same thing. I think it's actually, yeah, it's a little simpler, especially when you're talking about companies that are so single focused in, in terms of their profit, that it's so it's so easy to disrupt that, really. Yeah, I mean, that, that's the whole thing. Like, ultimately, companies are very simple organisms, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. They will go where the dollars are. Right. And in fact, one of the reasons why we know that this movement of consumers um, that is now global, uh, this ethical consumer movement is working, is because those largest companies that are out there, that are, that are absolutely the best companies um, um, based on the amount of profits they're able to generate uh, and based on their performance over the past X number of decades, they are the ones that are trying to gobble up every socially and environmentally responsible company they see because they see all of the dollars that are flowing to them. And that reason that they are attracted to those companies is the same reason they're attracted to anything because they see dollars flowing in that direction. And so now they're motivated to either, well, essentially do a few things, gobble those companies up, create alternatives uh, of their own, which uh, can kind of mimic those kind of green or socially responsible behaviors and or um, undermine those efforts so that people come back to the, to their own products. Hmm. Is there any company that you'd, you'd particularly give a shout out for in your time as a researcher coming from a lower grade to making some significant uh, improvement? Oh boy, you know, I think it was in the last edition of the shopping guide where I finally, actually based on uh, readers, uh, I'm always asking them, um, what would you like to see in the next edition? And one of the things they had asked for was the kind of biggest success stories and disappointments. Um, a couple of uh, companies that come to mind, um, well, out of in some ways out of nowhere, um, Chipotle hmm. was one of those companies that... Uh, right you know, was really not showing up on my radar very much. It wasn't even rated in the earliest editions. And this is a company where, um, you know, that kind of fast, casual um, industry was starting to take off in the food sector. And um, Chipotle early on had started down this kind of regular path of as they started to grow, they needed some more outside investment. And so I believe they went to uh, Coca-Cola, some other company like that, uh, to get, um, th- they sold a part of the company, some minority sh- stakeholder share in the company, and then used that capital to build up. And then at some point had a change of heart and basically said, no, we don't like where this is going. They bought their company back. Right. Uh, and then started going down this path uh, within an industry that usually is not known for its integrity, which is kind of fast food and fast casual food. Um and they um, they created uh, a business that now consistently uh, ranks at the top of that food chain and and gets A's because of the um, integrity of their sourcing and um, how in particular how they uh, treat uh, um, farms, uh, animals, and the environment. 
Yeah, yeah, and it's palpable at Chipotle over the last few years, and it's very different uh, in terms of their messaging um, than it was, you know, seven or eight, nine, ten years ago, pre-purchase. I heard it was McDonald's. I heard that McDonald's owned a part of them, and then they bought it back. Somebody like that, I guess. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, so, this is so the other there, thing. Uh, I was going to say, so there is hope, and it does work. Yes. I mean, it's already working. Um, now what we're dealing with is essentially countermeasures from these huge companies that are attempting to figure out how they can um, uh, stay as profitable and relevant as they always have been um, while adapting to this new kind of push from consumers to be more ethical. A big part of it, too, is, and you mentioned uh, how Chipotle, you, you noticed some of this messaging change. This is a part of it, that that problem of of uh, reality not coming to the fore for consumers in the marketplace is an important one. And and these little more responsible companies are starting to learn that you do better when you can tell people more clearly about what it is exactly the impacts that they are having by purchasing your product. Seventh Generation has always done this very well, kind of head and shoulders above uh, many other companies in that on the product itself, you can see you know, how many trees were saved in the last, you know, X amount of years by people buying the paper towels or the, or mm-hmm. the, um, uh, or the toilet paper or what have you. Um, and, and there are some coffee, small coffee companies that do this. When you pick up the bag of coffee, it'll have stories on the back of actual farmers that help supply the coffee. It's that telling of these stories of impact in the real world that allows the consumer to then create the headspace to say, you know what? this is real and I am having a real impact and I do want to support these farmers or these environmental efforts or this kind of important um, part of our own kind of societal evolution. And, you know, I can spare, you know, a buck or two for that. Hmm. Yeah. And as you're talking, I'm noticing, um, and please tell me if this feels like two different conversations, but there seem to be at least two levels here. There's one where you've got your rating is index and your shopping guide and your, and your shopping app. And that can really appeal to somebody who's already living with the understanding or belief that they have, they have impact through their purchasing. And then what I'm curious about is what about the people that don't believe, you know, or haven't um, learned about the potential impact they can make through their purchasing um where where are they in in the process and and does anything you're doing kind of help to reach them or is it just about the people who are awake to this and actively pursuing it that's a good question um so first of all uh i think most of the people who end up using the app and or book you know are people who like you say are already kind of aware of um what the impacts are they're already kind of like the voters who are committed uh, to these ideas and these co- uh, these causes um and um in many ways these are the, these are the ones who bear the most responsibility so the the one kind of very key difference between uh democracy as it currently uh is created for a political system and for our economic system is that for a political system you know one person one vote and in our economic system, it's $1, one vote. Hmm. And that means it's inherently unequal. 
right? Mm -hmm. Um, By the very nature of it, uh, anybody with more dollars has more votes. They have more voice. Now, it's not that we don't see that in the political realm. We all understand that, you know, large companies uh, and very kind of powerful groups have lobbying firms and permanent lobbyists on Capitol Hill. We understand that campaigns are financed that way, that people, you know, cut $10,000 checks and get access to power brokers in Washington. So we also see that voice showing up in the political realm. But it is much more kind of clearly transparent in the economic realm, where these dollars as they add up, um, actually have a kind of direct influence. And that means that on the one hand, yes, the people who can already afford it that may already be conscious of it, um, they are the ones that are, are mostly taking part of it in it. And people who are either less conscious of it, or don't have as many dollars to spare, and maybe that t- that $2 difference between, you know, Tide and Seventh Generation on a weekly or monthly basis actually adds up to kind of quite a significant sacrifice. Uh, um, that they are, on the one hand, less responsible for the problems than than the people uh, with more dollars are. Since we since the, the, the votes count when you have those dollars to, to spend, um, it is even more of an obligation for you to kind of use those correctly. And, and having said that, you know, I... When I created the system, I wanted to make sure that um, options were not available, that there wasn't some kind kind of dichotomy where if you shop at um, you know Whole Foods, you can buy everything from responsible companies, but if you shop at Safeway, you know you don't have any options to you. Mm-hmm. I make sure in every edition of the guide. I mean, the, the place that I shop at is essentially Shaw's, which is uh, bought out by Safeway recently uh, in my area, and um, um, the options that are in front of me are options that show up in the guide. And sometimes the difference is instead of being able to purchase from an A company uh, uh, versus like in this case with the laundry detergent, an F company, sometimes it's between a B company and a D company, or sometimes it's between a C company and an F company. You know, the options are always not kind of in front of you for the, the kind of best possible outcome, which is very much like how elections work, right? You don't always get to choose the candidates, but you do get to choose the better of the two or three candidates when they do show up. And so um, there are choices to be made. And some of them, particularly the most extreme A to F, involve often a kind of significant price difference. But in other cases, it's not so clear. So for example, when we compare Coca-Cola with Pepsi, the price difference is almost negligible. Uh, for most people. Uh, These brands have competed with each other for decades, and their pricing structure is essentially the same. Um, However, uh, Pepsi comes out in the wash as a B, whereas Coca-Cola comes out as an F. Um, So there are choices to be made that actually don't have any cost difference, and hopefully open up that marketplace as well for people who um, may not be as... um, well-placed to cast as many votes as some of us. That's awesome. Yeah. I'm imagining that's a section or soon to be section in your, in your guide. This, the, the market comparisons where you have high, high leverage decisions that don't really cost people anything. That's great to know. Yeah. I'm instantly wanting to know like 20 of those. (laughs) Um, great. Ah, it's so good. You know, as since we're talking about cost, I have to say that when I started this project, you know, I was essentially a, a graduate student, you know, not, with not a lot of money to spare um, in my weekly or monthly paycheck. And so I would often wrestle with these issues of, you know, I'd really like to purchase organic produce 
or fair trade bananas. Uh, and yet uh, my budget is just not in a place where I can afford uh, to kind of buy the best options all the time. Um, and I think it's very important for consumers as they decide to take this kind of uh, ethical shopping on as a uh, project that we um, avoid a kind of strict dichotomy of kind of good versus evil choices, but rather see very much like I rate the companies on an A to an F scale, see our own impact as something that we would think of as a kind of cumulative GPA, right? Right, yeah. a, a cumulative grade point average. So I always tell people when they say, well, what do you do? Do you buy from all eight companies or where do you stand? I always say that my goal in any given year is to try to achieve a B plus overall. And in most cases, uh, I don't even achieve that. Hmm. So um, instead of thinking about, you know, every single dollar spent or the fact that like I can't find a good option for some products or I can't afford all of the, the ones that I would like, I often will commit, for example, to say just buying my gasoline from, um, you know, the best, most responsible company that is within uh, a five mile radius of me for gas stations. Or I will commit to every time I go to the supermarket, um, bananas, I will get fair trade. You know, they're not that much more expensive. And um, it's one item, but I buy it regularly. And I can't buy everything organic because it would break the bank. But I will commit to fair trade bananas and kind of work my way from that point. Uh, and, and in that case, if you're looking at it as a kind of overall GPA, and you also understand the kind of impacts of cumulative dollars, you can start to say, well, you know, the really important choices may be the ones that I don't make very often, the ones that involve hundreds of dollars or thousands of dollars, like, you know, when I invest in a, in a new automobile, or when I am getting, you know, a whole new home entertainment system or something like that. Uh, those are the points at which, you know, you might want to kind of sit and consider um, those, uh, those purchases that you don't make very often that cost a lot of money, that's a lot of votes to be giving to a particular company, and that you should actually pause and consider rather than just kind of saying, you know, I'll just take the best of whatever's in front of me. Yeah, it's a great point. And that, that reminds me of what I was going to say earlier. Just the first point being, this is not a perfectionistic all or nothing pursuit. This is exactly this is partially about having informed consent. And over time, doing as well as as you can with what you have, and not getting into some sort of self shame or judgment. It's about, hey, I can actually have information. These purchases are, are happening. So why not have information that may dictate um, opportunistic changes that that could have over time like a big impact? I remember in, when I got your very first one, I know you were telling me this the other day, back when you when you did the relative grade scale for, for each category, yeah. uh, which means like the petroleum companies could get A's, you know? And, right. Uh, <laughs> and I remember... Uh, I remember I, that you had like Sunoco. I hope I'm saying it yes. right. It's an East Coast yeah. plate. And, you know, I grew up not far from where you are in central Connecticut. And that's actually where a lot of Sunoco is. And I got so excited because I was like, Sunoco's an A. No one else is even above, I think, a B minus or a C plus or something. And I was right. telling every person I knew in New England to go to Sunoco. But that <clears throat> that, that kind of thing if it gets enough momentum and enough volume 
will drastically shape the way uh, companies do business simply because, as you said, they want to survive. Yeah, and they're already working in our current global marketplace in a hyper-competitive environment in which they're looking for any edge that they can find um, to make sure that they can get ahead and survive. Uh, And so as they see dollars moving in different directions, they're tracking, it doesn't matter to them what the reasoning is. Um, They will track it and they will figure out what that reason is and respond to it. Now, having said that, you know, in many cases, these companies find uh, that it can be, at least in the short term, cheaper to respond to, you know, green uh, value demands from ethical consumers by um, utilizing something called greenwashing, in which they essentially fake that the fact that they are doing something responsible in the world in the hopes of fooling consumers into sending the dollars to them rather than to some real competitor that's doing legitimate work in that area. Uh, and that can be very powerful. It's one of the, the areas that I study now in my academic research. Having said that, what these projects do, like Better World Chopper and, and, and the projects in, just like it in other parts of the world, is they attempt to bring a kind of counterbalance to that equation because it doesn't rely on advertising or marketing or any information from the companies themselves to say, you know what, if you see an ad campaign in which Walmart or Nestle is saying, hey, everybody, you thought you might have known us, but in fact, we're turning over a new leaf. And with our new product line, you can really trust us. If they say that, but the data still seems to indicate the opposite, you know that you can't trust those things that they're saying and that you will not be fooled by the greenwashing, which they're spending uh, less money on. And if that cycle continues, they will realize that it is not worth their their resources to spend money on that and rather to um, adapt their own behaviors so that they get the real credit that they deserve. Yeah. As a as an Oregonian, you don't have to get many of us started about Nestle <laughs> and the hatred. <laughs> um, so, all right. I want to talk a little bit about where you are in your current uh, iteration of the project. You were mentioning the other day that um, obviously from my lengthy introduction with, for you, you are, you have a family and you're a professor and you have this work going on as well. So you have quite a lot on your plate. How can somebody, um, what are the ways that, that somebody listening can immediately support you? So a few things, um, obviously word of mouth is great, particularly if you're familiar with, um, the project. Uh, the website, betterworldshopper.org, is a great kind of reference site to go to and to utilize to search for companies and to find out more about the research, etc. cetera. Uh, there is an app, which is free uh, for Android and iOS devices that you can use to essentially take with you into the marketplace and look up uh, companies and see who rates the best in particular areas. It also has, I think, Um, audio interviews built in if you want to learn more and hear more of me talking about this stuff it has that and and also has links to uh things like uh the shopping guide as a physical book purchasing copies uh uh, or my other book uh, the better world handbook which is kind of a precursor to the shopping guide which was a much broader effort at looking at social change that individuals can be a part of um and some people use the the books themselves as fundraisers. So for nonprofits and and fundraising uh, groups, uh, what I do is I essentially offer the book in bulk 
uh, at half price so that the rest can be used as a fundraiser for, you know, um, any kind of nonprofit organization or churches or mosques or temples or, or, or schools or what have you. Um, there's also very simple things like um, going on websites like Amazon and reviewing the book um, because Amazon is no longer Amazon. It is so huge that uh, it is essentially a review aggregator that now websites all over the world pull from um, to get a sense of um, how a particular work is doing. Um, you can contact me. I am always um, interested in doing speaking engagements. I can do things over Skype. I can do um, um, uh, ones where I actually come out in person. Um, all of these things help. Uh, and if you are going to get copies of the book uh, and you um, you can obviously get them through the website through me, but you can also go through independent bookstores, right? You should think about these things as chains. So when you're trying to make an impact, you know, you can support the work and support your, you know, an independent local bookstore if you go through them. Um, there, and, and then if you buy it with your kind of responsible credit card or debit card from your local credit union, you know, then you get like a third level impact. These are all kind of important ways to um, increase the power of what you're doing to make sure that it's in having positive impacts at each level. Did you, did you want to give a shout out for, um, or a call to action for any, anybody who's interested in connecting with you about some of the kind of the organizational project growing, you know, like you talked about social media and stuff like that? Yeah. So, I mean, occasionally I also get volunteers who come and help either organize, update and add to the databases, help me manage um, any of the, um, the media stuff that I have going on. Um, there's a Facebook group out there that um, takes on a number of these issues. There are people who do uh, video reviews on YouTube um, and uh, every now and then I get people who will um, volunteer for some period of time to kind of just help me keep various aspects of it uh, up to date. There are also offshoots of the project, like I'm doing you know, all of this work in the economic realm, but you know, I, I had a class uh, not long ago in which we started rating politicians on how well they told the truth and started creating an app, uh, the foundations for an app based on that so that you could kind of go out and find your favorite or least favorite politician and see, you know, based on publicly available data, you know, how truthful they have been over time so that we essentially start developing these systems of accountability and transparency in every realm. Um, we might start with the economic realm, but, but hopefully move to uh, all of the other areas that we have to grapple with. Right on. <clears throat> and I will just add my own personal plug. Uh, I have, I was an original, an owner of the original printing of the Better World Handbook, which was what you said, two thousand six, seven. Well, the original printing of the shopping guide was two thousand six, but the original printing of the handbook was two thousand one. Okay, right. I felt like it was older. Okay, so I have the actual handbook, um, two thousand one, and I've had a couple of the hard copy shopping guides. And I have the app. And I would recommend if anybody's going to do one thing that Dr. Jones is talking about, if you have a smartphone, just download the Better World Shopper app. You can search it under those three words. It's free, correct? Yes. It's free. It's very simple. 
And what we come back to in the beginning of our conversation where I was really um, digging in around like creating source credibility, if if through this conversation and, and any other research you do about Dr. Jones, if you start to develop some trust in source credibility, which I do, um, the Better World app, the Better World Shopper app will give you s- quick ratings, like crude ratings, A, B, C, D, F. And then I like your little skull and crossbones for the bottom dwellers and the stars for the, for the seventh gens of the world. But um, I, you know, for instance, during this interview, I looked up Tide because I knew seventh generation and I wanted to just kind of get a, um, a contrast for that example. I looked that up in about 10 seconds. So if you're standing in the grocery store, this doesn't have to consume your life. You can get in there and just be like, wow, this is about the same price. I wonder which company is better. Boom. You can open it up and in like five seconds, you can have an answer that really could make an impact. So that's my little plug for it. Highly recommend. Wow. Uh, thank you so much for coming on and, and thank you, um, for the work you're doing in the world. It's, it's, really important and i hope that this interview and your continued efforts uh, reach more and more people and create more and more change well thank you jesse it's been a real pleasure to learn more about dr jones's work check out the better world shopper online or download the free better world shopper app today it's time to leave you with the question of the day what story do you tell about yourself and your ability to impact change how is that story different after listening to dr jones to find out more about the world of Supergivers, head over to supergivers.com. If you'd like to be a guest on the show, click on the podcast link and send in an application. If you'd like to practice giving towards this show, please tell someone you know to listen in or consider subscribing or leaving a review on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, or Google Play. That's all for today. Thanks for listening and maybe even subscribing to the Supergivers podcast, where we celebrate ordinary people creating extraordinary impact in the world. I'm your host, Jesse Johnson, and I hope you'll pass the giving along.